welcome back, baseball fans, to another episode of On Deck presented by Deep Dive Sports. I'm your host, Greg. I'm joined, as always, by Jeff and Dom. What's going on, guys? How we doing? Living the dream. Well, we're definitely going to talk some uh, baseball today. We're going to talk about the Red Hot Reds. This is going to make Jeff super happy. I kind of uh, told him about that a little bit early just to, to get him excited about this episode because they are on fire. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the worst umpire calls of all time. Uh, then we're going to go into the best one-two duos in baseball. We're going to first talk about the best duos in baseball now and then the best duos of all time. We're going to do the hot take segment again. I like that segment a lot, so uh, the guys did too. So we're going to kind of get your opinions on some quick hot takes, do a standings rundown, and then we're going to finish it off with the one fact about baseball. So to start it off, the Red Hot Reds, they are 30, I'm sorry, 40 and 35. They are first in their division, and they are a game and a half up on the Brewers. They are an 11-game win streak as of, what, about 4 o'clock this afternoon, Jeff? That's right. So they hitting has been amazing. Pitching has been amazing. So, so Jeff, I'm obviously going to start with you on this one. How is this happening? Well, I know I kind of told you about it earlier. I said this is – for me, it seems like it's the Ellie effect. You know, ever since we called up Ellie, it's just – this team's just got a vibe. They've just got – momentum they've got mojo they've got they're wanting to win these games and on top of that now we've got the return of Votto, and they made a couple moves that i've actually been hoping for you know we sent down jose barrero to the minors we dfa'd will myers because we're not going to waste another roster spot when these young guys are proven talent uh you know ellie's been amazing he's batting almost 300 he's stealing bases he's got that speed i mean he's beating out routine ground balls like it's nothing <laughs> diving head first into first to be out the pitchers covering first uh it's just it's really exciting time to watch these guys and all this young talent on the farm that you know i was talking about last year and it seems like it's coming up a little early it kind of feels like the orioles last year and we see their success this season so i'm kind of hoping we can follow that similar guideline with them and just giving these young guys a chance to go out there and get it yeah it's i mean it's been amazing to watch especially coming off of what they were last year to this year it's just been amazing so uh you brought it up a little bit so i'm gonna ask that first question to you uh what has joey Votto's return done for the team and how great was it for him and for the team with that home run in his first game back oh, i was amazing i mean We've been missing this guy since August, and you could just tell what – I mean, he's such a natural leader, especially in this young group. So to see him coming back and to be so honest about it, you know, before his first game and his presser, he said, this is exciting for me because it kind of feels like when I first got called up, you know, 15 years ago, uh, because I know that I've got to compete with these young guys. I know I've got to try to stay on their level. So I'm not wasting another roster spot and you get him with the power bat and leading these guys and it's going to be exciting. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but he seemed a little bit emotional when he was talking about this, like the basic standing ovation he got when he got up to the plate. Like he, he was a little bit uh, moved and unexpected that that occurred with him. So for sure. Yeah, definitely. 
a good thing for him. Dom, what's your take on these Red Hot Reds? I think it's amazing to see. Um, it kind of came out of nowhere. They were they were a team this year that it seemed like the they were on the right path. The the young talent that they were calling up was definitely showing a lot of potential that they could be something in the future. Um, I think the return of Vado in that locker room with um, with bringing up Ellie was kind of like the catalyst. Like, okay, we're calling up our top guy, this guy that's supposed to be a generational talent. Like, let's you know, let, let's go. We're gonna go for it here. Um, I think it really excited the team, and I mean, it's been this is this is an incredible run. Um, I hope they keep it up. So you brought up Dela Cruz uh, in the way he's playing. Why do you think it took so long to call him up? If, if he's playing at this caliber right off the get, he was obviously playing at this caliber in the minors. So why does it take so long to call him up? Service time. Uh, small market teams do this with their top prospects all the time. Um, they keep them down in the minor leagues for a couple weeks, a couple months into the season. So they get that extra year of control over a player. Yep, I was just going to say about the same thing there. So, at at the nail on the head. Yeah, I mean it. It it's kind of sucks for the player, but if you're a small market team, I kind of understand it because you're not really going to be able to pay the three two fifty to three hundred million dollar contracts consistently for these guys. Um, so, trying to squeeze out one more year of control and then trade him or let him walk in free agency. I definitely did not think of it that way. So, so Jeff, what's the ceiling for the Reds this season? I think I got to stay cautiously optimistic with this team, especially this division. It's so tight right now uh, between the Pirates, Cubs, Brewers. Uh, it's really tight. So as long as St. Louis stays at the bottom and I think our ceiling could possibly be postseason wildcard spot. You know, they're sitting in one right now. So that's as far as I'm willing to <laughs> I gotta stay cautiously optimistic because there's a lot of baseball left. Okay. You don't want to get too excited too quickly. <laughs> that's right. I know this team. All right. <laughs> la- last question on the Reds and Dom will go with you on this one. Uh any pieces they are missing that they could pick up in the trade deadline and who do you think it possibly could be? Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe more pitching. Uh, if if you're contending, you can never really have enough pitching. So maybe a guy at the end of that rotation, or maybe another one or two arms in the bullpen. I think offensively, they're they're fine. Um, I I really wouldn't touch the lineup at all. Um, maybe just try to to bolster their their pitching staff a little bit. In, in terms of players in particular, I can't really think of any specific players, but that's what I would go for. Well, I lied just a little bit because another question came to mind. Uh, I don't know if either of you heard that little Araldus Chapman uh, rumor of uh, possibly wanting to go back to the Reds, and that oh, I sure did. The Reds didn't didn't say it wasn't out of the question. So, Jeff, I guess I'll end it with you on this one. What's your take on all that? I think it would be good to see, uh, especially you know you can get them for very little. Uh, however, on the other hand, you've got the best closer in baseball right now in Alexis Diaz. So probably use him, maybe some middle as possible to get him. 
Uh, I do agree with Don that we need some starting pitching. Uh, looks like Lodolo, we might not get back till they're saying August. So I'd like to see some of that. But Andrew Abbott's been amazing. Uh, I mean, exceeding standards. You know, he's actually the first pitcher since the mound was moved to its current spot in 1893 to begin his career with three straight scoreless starts of more than five innings. First ever. I mean, these guys are coming out of Louisville and they're just proving their stuff. And from one of the rumors I heard is that we will be buyers at the trade deadline. And the name I've heard is actually none other than Shane Beaver up in Cleveland. I was just about to ask you that. I was like, we have an excess of pitching. I think Bieber might be on the on the hot seat, and I'm I'm sure we can take some of your top prospects for him. <laughs> right. I mean, move a little south. You know, that's that's not a bad move for them. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I'm definitely rooting for them. Uh, you know, moving forward, not as much as you know, I'm rooting for the Red Sox and Dom's rooting for the Guardians, but you know. All right, moving on to our second topic, and it's umpires. And uh, the catalyst to this uh, this particular uh, topic is that I, I, I've watched a lot of horrible calls over the Father's Day weekend, a lot of pitches that were called strikes that were exceedingly outside of the box. And it just kind of pissed me off, and, you know, uh, a lot of things happened that just, uh, you know, it's not right. And then so the commentators on uh, Sunday Night Baseball brought up Angel Hernandez and how he's only uh, made one start this entire season. And it's rumored that it's a medical thing. Uh, so, you know, if you don't know enough about Angel uh, Angel Hernandez, he's pretty much made enemies all throughout uh, his 22 year, 22 year career as an MLB umpire. Um in 2022 alone, he made several calls that um, got him in hot water. Uh, he's got history of poor ball and strike calls. So what do you think is the worst baseball umpire call of all time? And Dom, I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, I think for me, probably because I saw this one live, um, the Armando Galarraga almost perfect game. Um, but I forgot what year that was. It was early 2000s, but that was an egregious call. Um, he was runner was clearly out, took a, a perfect game away, a once in a lifetime opportunity, uh, taken away from a guy that really didn't do much the rest of his career. Um, so it, it, it sucks that the game kind of ended that way for him, but I think that was at least the worst call in, in my opinion. Okay. All right. Jeff, what about you? For me, one of the worst ever is the 96 ALCS. You know, you got the Orioles and the Yankees playing each other. The Orioles at the time had a one-run lead going into the eighth. And Derek Jeter steps up to the plate. It's a deep fly ball to the wall. And the outfielder, uh, Tarasco, is out there waiting to catch that ball. And a 12-year-old boy reached out with his glove and caught the ball. And, you know, it's the postseason, so there's actually an extra ump in right field with a clear view of what happened, and he called it a home run. Did not call fan interference and allowed them to tie that game. Obviously, the Yankees would go on to win it in extras, and they would go all the way to the World Series. But, I mean, you've literally got extra umps on the field for this reason, witnessing it, and only explanation is it's the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, for sure. 
Well, talking about uh, the Reds, and this is, again, kind of a theme for, for this particular episode is, is the Red Hot Reds, but this goes all the way back to 1975. So for this blown call, uh, the Reds taking on the Red Sox in the World Series, it was the 10th inning uh, at the Reds' Cesar Guerrero, I think is his name, let off the inning with a single. Ed Ambersber hit a uh, pinch hit with a objective laying down at Bont. Uh, this bunt was weak and only bounced a few inches from the front of the plate, giving catcher Carlton Fisk at the Red Sox a chance to gun down the runner at second. But he, the uh, Armberser, again, I'm messing up his name, but he decided not to run to first right away. and Instead, he hung out at the plate, impeding Fisk's throw to second. Fisk had to maneuver around him and ended up making a bad throw. And obviously that call was not called interference, even though he hung out at the plate. So the the umpire allowed the runners to advance to second and third. So then Joe Morgan singled in the winning run and the Reds won the game and eventually won the World Series. So uh, that interference call. So I expected a little bit more of, of some calls that were a little bit more egregious, but uh, I couldn't necessarily find anything too far off that was, uh, you know, that were World Series game clinching type of of calls. Uh, And I figured over the course of years, it would be. Uh, Anything else to add to that, guys? Nope, I don't think so. Other than maybe this past weekend, one that I personally saw was the Rangers game where Jonah Heim got called for blocking the plate and clearly was not. It was rough, led to some objections. Um, this conversation makes me excited for um, the automated umpires. And I know they've been testing it out in, in the minors for a couple of years, but I'm excited to see that in Major League Baseball and at, at least get balls and strikes a little bit more accurately now. I mean, so, Dom, I'll let you explain that a little bit. So the people who don't know, how does that that system work? Um, I think essentially it would be you'll have the umpire behind the catcher have an earpiece in his ear, and there'll be a person, I think, in the stadium somewhere, but they'll be able to – you know how you're watching game and you see the strike zone um, in front of home plate and you can see if it's a ball or a strike and – They'll do like that that replay graphic where it'll like have a 3D view of the the strike zone and you'll be able to see if the ball was in the zone or not. Essentially, I'm I'm thinking there'll be a guy that's watching the game like that, but perpetually in that view. So he'll see every pitch come in to the strike zone and then he'll call to the umpire if it's a ball or a strike. Um, so it kind of takes the the human air out of it. I mean, it, it, to me, it's like what is the umpire then behind home plate really? I mean, really four anymore than it, it just seems like. If, if I think it's kind of just relaying the message. Yeah, and that's what I was about to say. It just seems like it's just a relay uh, anymore yeah. instead of, of actually the, the purpose of, you know, the original purpose of it. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, do they know when they're going to implement it? Is that next year or are they going to wait another year? I think next year. I know they've been testing it out for a couple years of the minors to, I guess, pretty good success. Yeah, that's my understanding as well. Well, it'll be interesting to see. We'll uh, we'll look forward to it next year. We'll talk about it a little bit going forward once we get closer to that. All right, moving on to our third topic. It is the best one-two punch, uh, best one-two duos in baseball. 
We're going to first go through the best one, two right now. And then we're going to go through the best one, two of all time. And Dom, I'm going to start with you on this one. Who is your best one, two duo now? I mean, to me, it's got to be Otani and Trout. I, I think these are two of the best offensive players in baseball. And then Otani, not only is he one of the best hitters in baseball, but he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, so the fact that they have both of them in, the, in their lineup, um, they're both generational talents. It's it's a shame that the eight, or Angels haven't been able to to really do anything with it. I mean, they are a little bit. I mean, they're they're in the wild card race right now, so it's, it's possible. Um, we'll definitely talk a little bit more about him um, when we do hot takes. All right, Jeff, what is your uh, best one-two duo right now? For me, it's really unlikely here in 2023, but here we are. But I've got to roll with uh, some pitchers here for the Diamondbacks. since that guy in and uh, Merrill Kelly. I mean, these guys are just killing it this year. and It's just wild to me. <laughs> like, these are two of the standout pitchers in the league. You know, they're top 20 in almost every category. Uh, they're uh, tied for second and wins as pitchers. They both got nine wins each. Uh, Gallion's got the 10th best ERA in the league at uh, 284. Kelly's 11th. This is at 290. Uh, Gallion's already got over 100 strikeouts on the year. Kelly's sitting at 96. You know, they're both top 16 a whip. Uh, they're combined 18 and 5 in their win loss record. And these Diamondbacks, they're rolling. And Big part of it's that pitching yeah, staff. Yeah, Merrill's been super impressive for, for me. Every game that I've watched with him, he's just been lights out. And he seems like he's going to be somebody that's going to be pretty substantial for a very long time. Well, I'm going to go back to the batting side, uh, kind of, and stick with the uh, Los Angeles as well as Dom. I'm going to go with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. And, and the way I kind of looked at this is kind of the um, – not to dog your pick, Dom, but, uh, you know, I think Mike Trout to me is a little bit uh, on the decline a little bit. He's, you know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, I thought moving forward that these two were going to be the best um, really one-two punch, you know, for a long extended period of time. And it doesn't look like either of them are going to go anywhere. Uh, you know, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, um you know, Mookie Betts was in 40, 142 games last year. He led the NL with 117 runs scored while uh, hitting 35 home runs with a 873 OPS. And then Freeman, I think he tied him with runs at 117. Um, he led the NL with uh, 407 on base percentage, uh, led the majors with 199 hits and 47 doubles. So, I mean, to me, there's a, a super longevity that's available for that duo, um, whereas I think with Otani, the plausibility of him sticking around, again, I don't want to you know, talk about that too much because um, we're going to do that in hot takes, but uh, I, I think there's a longevity for these, these two to be a, a dynamic one-two duo you know, moving forward for a very long time. So with that being said, of now, let's talk about of all time. I'll go back to you on this one, Jeff. Who are the best one-two punches of all time for you? For me, another standout pitching duo out of the Diamondbacks. I got to go back to uh, Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. You know, those guys were just dominant, especially if you look at that 01 and 02 season. Uh, you know, those guys actually combined to win 55 games each those years. Uh, Johnson had 719 strikeouts in those two years. 
Schilling had 609. Uh, Johnson obviously had that four-year stretch of winning the NL Cy Young. Uh, they both got the World Series in 01. They won the West Division titles at 99, 01, and 02. I mean, just absolute dominance from those guys. All right. I'm glad that you went with pitching. When I put up that topic, I I, I kind of left it open. And I, I it's funny, like, without us even talking, I was like, Jeff's going to pick pitchers. I know he is. Just, <laughs> this was set up, and, and we didn't even have to talk about it. But, you know, I, I'm glad. Had you to do it. Because, I mean, it just shows that, it, you know, it doesn't have to be batters that are, are the are amazing one-two duos. And obviously, Schilling and um, Randy Johnson are, are perennial amazing. It, it's it's sad that, that Schilling is in the Hall of Fame just because of maybe some of his, uh, you know, political beliefs. Um, but hopefully down the line, he'll, he'll, he'll get in, even if he doesn't want to be in. All right, Dom, what do you got for with your you. best one-two duos of all time? Um, I went with Hank Aaron and Eddie Matthews. Um, their time together um, with the Braves uh, when they were in Milwaukee and Atlanta. Um, in cumulative war, they have a cumulative war of 179.8 and an average annual war of 13.83. Um, they're, they're, they spent 13 seasons together and they averaged 66 home runs and 202 RBIs as a pair. Um, won a World Series title, uh, got to a pennant the, the year after uh, their 1957 World Series. I mean, just the, the offensive production that these two put up. I mean, Hank Aaron, these you know, some consider the, the greatest um, home run hitter of all time. And uh, they're two amazing players, and I, those stats kind of just speak for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm glad we talked about this beforehand because that was definitely on my list of, of guys that uh, were going to be in there. Um, you know, there was a, a lot, just a lot to pick from. Um, so, but I'm going to went with Willie Mays and William Covey of the San Francisco Giants. Their combined war was – 160.1 and that was from 1959 to 1972 uh, and their best combined uh, war was 1963 um, 17.1 uh, so just they, they surged uh, you know throughout the, the 62 to really 70 they were I think played together for 13 years not counting that partial 1972 season where the, uh, in which they didn't play together but they combined for an exactly 800 home runs with Mays getting 430 of them and McCovey getting 370 of them. Um, they didn't win a World Series, but, you know, they, they had many postseason appearances. So I, I definitely was excited to, to pick William Mays and William McCovey. I mean, any honorable mentions for you guys? Uh, you know, I kind of thought um, this sparked me, this topic sparked me because I just uh, saw something about Jose Canseco uh, in one of my news feeds, and then it just made me think of the, the Bash Brothers. So, and that kind of got me turn the wheels turn in as to um, but they weren't actually, you know, they were like 40th on the list of, of you know, best duos of all time. But any other honorable mentions from you guys? Hey, off the top of my head, go with the Reds again, you know, Johnny Bench, Pete Rose. Yeah, I mean, Maybe the the Bonses, Barry Barry Bonds and um, his dad. Uh, they had some couple had a couple good years together. Um, can't, can't really think of anyone else. 
Uh, so uh, Benito Santiago and Tony Gwynn. Oh yeah. You know, I always thought Tony Gwynn, but I, I, you know, throughout the the seventies and the early eighties, Benito Santiago. A lot of people forget about him. He he is was a phenomenal player. Was constantly producing, and it just you know, I, if when I did all of the research for this, that they were in the top ten, um, and I think they were like eight, and it was just the output that they put out was 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 quite impressive. So. I got one. This might make our uh, in-house Red Sox fan happy, uh, but Dustin Pedroia and um, uh, Big Poppy. Hmm. Yep. I mean, so or so are we? Are we taking out uh, the 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 plausibility of um, of using steroids? As I mean, because I would say Poppy and Manny Ramirez, but I I kind of excluded Manny because uh, uh, the yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's fair enough. No, I mean it's suspected, never, never confirmed. You know. No, he's he did the fifty game suspension. Did he? Oh, I, that's right. I forgot about that. Uh, well, it still takes talent to hit the ball, right? <laughs> fair. I mean, and that's Bonds always said that. Like, there's it's one thing to so he hit it an extra, like you know, hundred feet. You know what I mean? It, it's still a home run. He still had to be able to eye the ball and be able to swing and everything like that. So, all right, moving on to hot takes. So I'll start with Jeff on this one. Uh, so we talked about the Reds and how hot they are with their 11-game win streak. So nobody's really talking about the Giants. They walked it off last night with a win uh, with their ninth in a row. So what's going on with the Giants? Yeah, Giants are – Pretty excited to watch there. I think they're still sitting above the Dodgers right now. And, you know, Jackson's he's looking good. And he's definitely sure up being a standout for those guys. And a lot of it's, you know, also the Padres being choke specialists. <laughs> Mike Yastrzemski has been pretty amazing for them as well. Yeah, he has. Yep. Yep. Uh, Dom, what do you got for the Giants? Hey, they're impressive. Um, you know, the they're one of those teams where last year they were kind of disappointing. I figured they would, they would have a comeback here this year. They're then they, they are, I mean, they're, they're right there. I think they're one of the better teams in the NL right now. Um, I think this is a team that, that could go on a good playoff run here. I mean, they, they just play the game well, you know, they don't, the fun, they're, they're a fundamentally sound team. So I don't think they're going to crash and, and fall off the face of the earth here. I, th- I think this is pretty for real. Okay. All right. Well, sticking in California, uh, the Angels today came out and said that they will not trade Shohei this season. So my question to you is how likely is he to stay? And if he goes, where is he going to go to? That's tough because I just don't see a way that the Angels are going to be able to cough up enough money for this guy. I mean, you could be talking about the biggest sports contract of all time. And I think for sure it will be, uh, you kind of got to look at those bigger teams that can afford it. You know, Dodgers, Yankees. Uh, unfortunately, I really don't want to see them on either of those teams, but that's kind of where it looks like for me. All right, Dom, what about you? Um, I think I, – I don't think that, that he'll stay. Uh, he he said he wants to, to win, um, and I, I don't blame him. And the, the Angels – 
haven't been able to to really put a good team around him and, and Trout um, for as long as they've been together. Unfortunately, yeah, it, it's I think it's either the Dodgers, the New York teams, maybe the Cubs. I know the Cubs have a lot of money. I mean, those, those are really the, the teams that, that stick out to my head that they could really afford this. Um, but maybe a, a team like the Blue Jays, they maybe move some players around, fear up some some money financially. Maybe they, they can fit them in, but I don't know. I mean, even so, they, I mean, like I said, they are sticking in the, you know, the last spot in the wild card race. So does that change his opinion or anything if they make a deep, you know, postseason run? I think, I think just so. barely hanging into the last wild card spot is good enough. Because, I mean, right now, I mean, they're only a half a game up on the Blue Jays. They're one game up on the Red Sox. And the Mariners are a team that have been pretty disappointing, but they're a team that can, can catch fire at any moment. Um, and I don't really see, I, I think the angels still have too many holes where, I mean, this could really fall apart on them at, at any moment. Okay. Well, Jeff brought up the fact that, uh, you know, a potential landing spot for him could be the Yankees. So I don't know if you guys saw this last night, uh, but Garrett Cole wagged his fingers at the Mariners bench. Uh, how professional is that? And, and is that what you like to see out of your ball players? Don, I'll start with you on this one. No, grow up. Act like you've been there. You're Garrett Cole. You're one of the best pitchers in the game. You, you're you going to act like that on a, what, a Tuesday night against the Mariners? No, grow up. Okay. Jeff, your take? My take is no, it's not professional. Absolutely. I love to see it. <laughs> I mean, I kind of like to see a little flex. And the other thing with Garrett Cole is you're also facing the highest strikeout team in the league. Like, yeah, come on. What are you really flexing here? But at the same time, I like to see the teams get a little wild up. I'm sure we've seen that in quite a few Reds games over the years, especially with uh, Amir Garrett when he was there. You know, this is what I like about topics like this, because I I always know that Jeff's going to be like, yeah, do it. Do it. (laughs) Dom's going to be like, "Mm, it's a little unprofessional. You know, let's play some baseball. Though, I don't like the finger wagging. I am a sucker for a good bat flip, though. I love staring down a pitcher and doing a nice bat flip. Yeah. But even then, it's even sweeter. The team does, you know, they get pissed off because of it, and then they come out, then they prove them wrong, and it makes it even sweeter. Well, maybe that'll be a topic uh, down the road is the best flexes or best, you know, uh, unprofessional moves in baseball going. Yeah. Oh, I, I would love to see, you know, you're getting blown out. You like ten nothing. You hit one home run. You ten to one. Big bat flip. You're celebrating like you won the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just jumping up and down, running around the bases. You know, doing the Kurt Gibson. Yep. <laughs> That's what I like to see. All right. Well, Father's Day. Um, MLB had the highest attendance Father's Day weekend with six hundred and three thousand three hundred and three in attendance over 16 games that's the highest sunday total since 2008 and the highest total since 2017 of all major league parks um so jeff i'll start with you on this one what does that say about baseball right now with its attendance surge for me i think this is proving that the pitch clock may be the best thing the league has come up with in years i mean you go to a game i mean 
I think it's somewhere around like only 13% of these games are actually even reaching three hours. You know, you make it a lot more reasonable. And obviously the batting averages are up. We've got exciting teams. You know, you're not going to see these games and there's just tons of shutouts and, you know, not a lot of excitement. So I, to me, I got to credit it to the pitch clock, maybe even that shift ban for getting these averages up, getting these hits, you know, seeing guys getting a lot of stolen bags this year too. Uh, so I credit it to that. And I think it's a good sign. Now, maybe if we would end these blackouts, your viewership would also jump. But I guess we got to actually go to the games to see them. Yeah. All right. Don, what about you? Um, well, I credit the rule changes. Uh, I agree completely with that. But I also, we talked about the how great that um, World Baseball Classic was and how we think that it may, you know, positively affect interest in baseball this season. And I think it has. Um the attendance from the get-go has been up this year and it hasn't fallen off. Um, I think that's a great sign. I think it, it was the the perfect storm with the new rule changes and intrigue created by that, along with, I mean, a great World world Baseball Classic. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we did talk about that a lot, how it it got casual people to, to definitely tune in to almost every game. And it got people that never even watched baseball to tune into some of those games. So uh, that was pretty spectacular. All right. So our final hot take and, you know, Dom, I didn't want to leave you hanging. We were talking about the Reds a lot today. So I wanted to talk to you about uh, the Pirates. Um, and with the major league draft coming up, uh, Henry Davis, the former number one overall pick, uh, doubled in his first MOB at bat for the Pirates. So how special could this kid be? I think potential to be in the same conversation as, you know, Adley Rutschman and some of the other great catchers that are there that in the game right now. Um, I think it's it's great for the Pirates organization, and I'm excited to to see what he develops into. Okay. Jeff, any, any take on uh, Henry Davis? Yeah, you love to see it. Uh, that was a nice piece of hitting too. That double wasn't was a bad bat. So I like to see these guys come out of the minors and find that major league pitching and face it right on. And like to see that success, these young guys. However, on another NL Central team, maybe not so much. <laughs> agreed, agreed. All right, we're gonna do a little standings rundown and then we're gonna finish it off with the one fact about baseball. So starting off with the American League. You have got the Tampa Bay Rays at 52 and 25. They are five and five in their last 10. Um, you've got Baltimore sitting at second with 45 and 28. They are six and four in their last 10. And you got the Yankees at 41 and 33. They are four and six in their last 10. Toronto Blue Jays, 41 and 35. They are five and five in their last 10. And then you got the Red Sox, 39 and 35. They are seven and three in their last 10 and they're 11 and a half games back and they're still better than any team in the American League Central. So talking about the American League Central, you've got the Minnesota Twins at 36 and 38. They are four and six in their last 10. You've got the Cleveland Guardians sitting second at 34 and 38. They are five and five in their last 10. Detroit 32, 41. They're six and four in their last 10. White Sox on a little bit of a slide. They are 32 and 41. 32 and 43, I'm sorry, and they are three and seven in their last 10. And then the lowly Royals finally hit 20 wins. They are 20 and 54. 
They are two and eight in their last ten. American League West, the Rangers are still standing atop at 45 and 28. They are four and six in their last ten. Houston, 41 and 34. They are four and six in their last ten. You get the Angels at 41 and 35. They are six and four in their last ten. They lost to the Dodgers last night. Kershaw pitched a gem. Uh, you've got the Seattle Mariners at 35 and 37. They are five and five in their last ten. You got the Oakland Athletics still 19 and 56, four and six in their last ten. Moving on to the National League East, Atlanta is 47 and 26. They are eight and two in their last ten. Miami 42, 33, six and four in their last ten. Phillies at 38 and 35, seven and three. You got the Mets 34 40. They're four and six in their last 10. And you've got the Washington Nationals 28 and 45. They are three and seven in their last 10. Then Jeff's pride and joy, um, National League Central, Cincinnati Reds 40 and 35. They are 10 and 0 in their last 10. And I don't think we've seen that yet this, this season, as far as, um, you know, other than the, the Rays starting out their season. So, uh, that's pretty spectacular. Followed by the Brewers at 38 and 36, four and six in their last 10. Chicago is 36 and 38. They're eight and two in their last 10. They're a little, on a little bit of a run themselves. Uh, Pittsburgh, 34 and 39. They are one and nine in their last 10. Ouch. Uh, you've got the Cardinals at 31, 44, four and six in their last 10. And then we talked about the uh, National League. West Arizona at 45 and 30. They are five and five in their last 10. San Francisco is right behind them, 41 and 32, nine and one in their last 10. You got the Dodgers, 40 and 33, four and six in their last 10. You got the Padres, uh, what is it, Saturday night or Friday night, one against the, the Red Hot Rays. Um, uh, really close game that was amazing to watch. They are 35 and 38, five and five in their last 10. And finishing off, you've got the Colorado Rockies at 29 and 48. They are two and eight in their last 10. So, Dom, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on the standings? It sucks that the Pirates kind of came back down to earth. Um, I think the injuries have really started to take their toll on them. But they're a young team. I think the future is bright with them. Um, I love seeing the Padres and the Mets under 500 and, and near the bottom of the National League. Um, but it's just funny to see those teams spend so much money and get no return on any of their, their big spends. Um, they're still so impressed by the Reds. I, I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for the next couple of years in the national league. Um, in the AL, I think the guardians have been playing better as of late. Um, their top pitching prospect, Gavin Williams made his MLB debut tonight. Um, they actually just took the lead against the Oakland athletics um, other than that, uh, the, the AL East is just uh, just impressive division. I think that's going to be the race to watch um, throughout the rest of the season. For sure. All right, Jeff, what about you? Well, obviously, I know it's been a Reds episode, but I cannot stop gushing about these Reds. I mean, 11-game win streak. First time they've won 11 straight since 57. I mean – yeah. These guys were, I mean, it just looked like they were at a position where, where it was almost not worth calling Ellie up, you know, sitting at the bottom and so many games back. But 
they've turned everything around. Like I, I just, I love to see it and hope it keeps rolling. Uh, like Tom said, the Padres, like there is so much talent on that team. Like how are they so bad? Uh, the angels are making a little bit of a standout to me lately. Uh, I don't think they've lost a series since their first series in June uh, at Houston. Uh, but it's one of those things that make you think like baseball is such a weird sport because you got Mike Trout in the biggest slump in his career. I think in that there's a 12 game stretch recently, he was four for 50 and the angels won 10 of those 12 games. Like make it make sense. Yeah. It, it's uh, been unpacking my wallet a little bit too. Some of these, these games, the, <laughs> the FanDuel stuff I've been petting on has just been it, baseball is definitely a fickle sport and uh you know if 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 you're not used to it it, it can it can bite you <laughs> all right well it gets that one point at the end of the episode it's that one fact about baseball and dom i'm going to start with you on this one what is your one fact about baseball okay so this goes off of what we talked about in the last episode um with the you know run differential and and world series champions um so I, I built a little bit of a spreadsheet and I need to find a, a better database, but ESPN only went back to 2003. I kind of had to, to get data from a couple different websites, but since 2003, what is the average run differential of teams that have won the World Series? Hmm. 125. I was thinking maybe a little lower. I was thinking maybe under 100, probably around the 80s. 137.2. Wow. That's right. Can you guess the, the average MLB rank? So, um, you know, where, where these teams finished at the end of the regular season in terms of run differential? I mean, not first. Well, you're right there. Not first. <laughs> See, at least I got that right. <laughs> Let's go around six. Close. It's actually fifth. Okay. So you know who's fifth right now in uh, run differential? Hmm. Dodgers. Hmm. Don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that either. Wow. So the the highest run differential is 2016 Chicago Cubs at 252. They were first. The lowest. 2006 St. Louis Cardinals with a plus 19 run differential and were 15th. Wow. And then won the World Series. And won the World Series. That's crazy. So, it, I mean, there are quite a bit of teams that were that were number one. But, you know, it shows you can be damn near average as long as you can get into the playoffs. Anything's possible. For sure. That's that's amazing stat. All right, Jeff, what do you got? All right. So for mine, in the modern era, there's been over 100,000 instances where a team has had fewer hits and fewer walks than its opponents in a 10-game span. Do you guys know how many of those teams won all those 10 games? Can you repeat that? Yeah, I was just about to ask. I know, it's a little confusing. So we got over 100,000 instances in the modern era where a team had fewer hits and fewer walks than their opponents in a 10-game span. 
Do you know how many of those times a team won all those 10 games with fewer hits and fewer walks in all 10 games? One. Zero. Something like that can only happen once. That's right. It's happened once with the 2023 Cincinnati Reds. Was it too obvious? (laughs) These guys. I I knew it was going to be something Reds related. First time ever in over a hundred thousand cases it's happened. Oh, you know, <laughs> Tom, I hope you're not going to get jealous that you know I'm going to do a Guardians episode just for you. Right, that will be it'll be a bit of a depressing episode. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if our listeners want that. Like eight guys on base tonight. <laughs> All right, so mine's a little maybe future forecasting of this individual, but we've talked a lot about him, Luis Arias. Uh, so he, on Sunday night, he hit his third five. He had his third five-hit game in a single month. And it was the month of June. Can you name any of the Hall of Famers that also had three five-hit games in a single month? Hmm. Tony Gwynn. Really? Oh, I think that's the only uh, hitting record he doesn't have. Yeah, uh, maybe let's go old school with like Babe Ruth. No, but 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 close. That was the you know it's about as close as you're gonna get. So the only other three players are all Hall of Famers to have five hit games in a single month, which is uh, the all tied for three. So Dave Winfield uh, hit three, uh, had three five hit games in the month of June. Ty Cobb had three five hit games in the month of July and George Sisler had three five hit games in the month of August when they happened three times or four times now with Arias doing it. Wow. Some good company to have. Yeah. That's a future forecasting. I mean, you're sitting with some hall of famers and you're putting up numbers like that. That's uh, that's pretty dang impressive. Yeah. I mean, I think if he keeps this up, do you think this can go down as one of the best, Offensive seasons ever. I mean, he doesn't. I mean, one of them. I don't think it'll be the best because it doesn't have the power numbers. But I mean, it's got to be up there. Yeah, I mean, he he's pretty phenomenal, and if he can he can keep this up, I mean, and a, a lot of it's gonna you know stem from what he does in the next you know couple seasons too. If if it's just this one off season, uh, it won't necessarily be looked at as as something as amazing as it actually is um but uh it'd be interesting to watch yeah sure will but it's also probably a big part why the marlins are still on top of the phillies and mets <laughs> well and that does it for this episode of on deck presented by deep dive sports make sure you follow us on facebook twitter uh maybe we're on snapchat i'm not 100 sure maybe we should do that uh dom will talk to you about that later um download us wherever you get your podcast apple music spotify and until next time baseball is america's pastime we hope that you enjoyed this episode of on deck as much as we have you can find us on instagram twitter and facebook at deep.dive.sports or download us through amazon apple or wherever else you get your podcasts As always, we are on deck, presented by Deep Dive Sports. Until next time.